So it's good. Those that are tuning in and maybe wrestling with this for yourselves, there's a point at which you can no longer say, "I don't, I don't know," because I haven't heard. Because now you have heard um, Peter's confession and Bernie and Chad's confession that Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth is, in fact, the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He lived, he died physically in human history. It's a real thing. We believe that his death was our death. He, he took our place, and his sacrifice now covers our sin. It reunites us with the God of the universe. It makes a way for us to experience the compassion, love, and presence of the God of the universe, and that we can now be in relationship with him. And that is afforded us by this one, the Messiah, our Jesus, our Christ. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Welcome back to the Take and Read podcast, Bernie Calcote. Repping the gear, man. Yeah, you got go. the cool hat. That's the that's the OG. That's the original hat. Okay, I, I didn't came know out what... of the shoots, and I was like toying with logos. I was like, what logo? And so there was this round patch logo that it'll probably never be made again. I didn't know there was a, a, a version two man. Yeah, there's kind of a rectangular version. It's the kind okay. that if you look on. Like the YouTube or on the podcast. Yeah, that kind of square gotcha. logo. Okay. Yeah. But that one's kind of a cool round one. I like it. Anyway, um, you look good in the hat. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks that for hat having looks me good back. good on you. Yeah. <laughs> and you look good in the studio here. Welcome back to the studio, AKA yep. my office. And uh, so good to have you. Good to be here. Um, this is, uh, I mean, we've we've now traversed many episodes, many times on this podcast. This is what four, five, six? Yeah, I'm still you? the record holder, I think, for yeah. the longest podcast. So. Uh, Granger, every time Granger's fighting with you. Oh, is he? Yeah, okay, he's, he's edging up on you. What do you know? Granger's one up in me once again. <laughs> this is the story of my life, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, buddy. Uh, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so, um, yeah, how you been? I've been really good, man. Good. Yeah, I've been really good. Um, uh, I've been meaning to ask, because you have kiddos that are, they're, they span some ages. So your youngest is? Five. Just turned five. Oldest is? Twelve. So five, nine, and twelve. So you have a pretty good kind of spread there. Pretty good spread. Um, mm-hmm. And I imagine they're all going and doing things. Probably Maybe not the five-year-old. that He, you know, tag along at that point. Uh, well, what do you mean by going and doing things? Because like they have extracurriculars, <clears throat> like, right? Yeah, like yeah. there's a point at which in your adult life where mm-hmm. you have your stuff that you do, and your mm-hmm. kids just kind of come along with you, and then there's this transition where now they, they have, have the stuff, stuff, and yeah. now your schedule orients around them. Where are mm-hmm. you guys at in that world? Um, we're we're moving closer and closer to where we have no more stuff. It's all their stuff. <laughs> it's all their stuff. <laughs> um, so the 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 oldest two both play like club level soccer, which okay. means we're practicing multiple times a week. We're taking them there. We don't coach them like they yeah. have, you know, uh, full time coaches, but we have to take them there and then we have to pick them up and then 
tournaments and games on the weekends and stuff. Um, and I imagine with that, you become very acquainted with the other parents. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because are they on the same team season after season and they're kind of growing most, together? Yeah, most of them. Um, they, as you kind of like move up, it gets kind of thinner and thinner of like who, you know, because you go from like 12 teams, you know, in the next division up, you have six teams. And then, okay. so they start putting the teams together, um, <clears throat> you, you know, as it kind of moves up. But um, yeah, we've gotten to know uh, some of the friends that we now have. Just we met them through mm-hmm. soccer and um, love to just have them over to the house. And then the kids will play soccer uh, in the yard and we'll kind of hang out and, and talk more. So yeah, it's fun. Uh, that's the top two. The third one, feral just <laughs> wherever whatever i don't think he has any stuff right now besides being barefoot i mean i remember we we were hanging out at a barbecue or a cookout or something and i oh, saw yeah. your whole family i think yeah, yeah, it was yeah. at granger's yeah and your little guy was just kind of yeah his face was covered uh, in like of chocolate the, and marshmallow earth, like and, he was just yeah yeah, he, he, so he kind of does his thing. We tried some organized sports, <laughs> and it's not. He's going to be like an artist that probably lives with us till he's forty. <laughs> We've accepted that, like, okay, unless he takes a sharp turn, right? You know, but right now the trajectory is like, okay, I guess his stuff is going to be our stuff. Where we're yeah. just going to all be doing the same stuff, and we'll go to the other kids' stuff together. But he does tag along really well, actually. Yeah. Um, he's super sweet. Um, and has a good attitude most of the time about, yeah. oh, we're going to Boa's soccer practice. or, But, um, yeah, man, that's kind of where we're at. Summertime, you know, changes the rhythms a little bit. Um, so are you at a point, too, where you have to kind of divide and conquer because the two oldest will have things simultaneously, so you and your wife are kind of spread going to do different places a little bit uh this next season coming up in the fall is going to be the a a real test um just because of the levels that they're now playing at um we'll probably have to do some games you know in san antonio where it's like okay well i got to go down there and you got to take her they're not like in town where we can just hit that one and then get over here in an hour um but you know it's it's all about communication and just understanding like okay i'd love to be there but you go with her i'll go with him or vice versa and i'm super um, curious are you the kind of parent that that kind of attends practice and you got your lawn chair and you kind of set up shop and you got your you know your beverage and you're just kind of scouting the team and you're you're kind of observing how coach is running practice and and you definitely have some thoughts developing about uh coach really shouldn't put him there or her there or whatever are you kind of See, I'm much more impatient than that. Like, I don't need to get the lawn chair and stay there the whole time. In the yeah. first 10 minutes, I'm like, this guy's an idiot. I could do this better, uh, which isn't true. I know it's not. I, You know, like, this year was a testament. Like, the coach was awesome. We just had to, like, let him kind of, like, do his way. I did coach for a long time, so I kind of have ways that okay. I feel like, yeah. hey, this, you know, this worked, man. We were undefeated for two seasons, and these kids really developed – and then when somebody kind of goes the opposite way, I was like, rah. But I don't um, – at this point, they're practicing so much, and I, I we just drop the kids off, and, okay. and they go practice. We'll come – I'll show up a little bit early and kind of watch and just see, like, oh, man, he's – but I'm really watching my kids. I'm watching them to see, like, oh, man, they're developing. They're getting better. Oh, he did that. Um, and then are you, like, at home working with your kids on things? Like, hey – you know, I saw you making this cut move, but you got to see the head fake first and then the, 
Um, I do. Um, I used to probably <laughs> do that more. Um, now I just want to go play with them. Yeah. Um, so we put artificial turf over from front to back of our whole yard. Oh, right on. And so it's really like a soccer field. Um, it, it wasn't cheap, but it was worth the investment. I mean, we have neighborhood kids over playing these big soccer games all the time. How, how much space are we talking about? Um, it's probably 75, 100 feet by 40, something okay. like that. So, I mean, it's, it's decent size. Yeah. Um, it's a good size pitch. Yeah, it's a decent pitch. As they pitch. say over the, over the pond. Yeah. Um, but I just like to get out and play with them. It keeps me young and... Um, I'll play in a league, uh, my own league, men's league, every once in a while. Okay. And so I got to stay, I got to stay a little bit, you know, up to snuff. And the, mix. the kids are getting old enough. I don't know about yours, but it's like I'm, it's like man, I can I can keep yeah. up with them now and still have a little edge on them. But that edge is slowly going away. Oh yeah, yeah. So my gotta, oldest son is very much. I got to take advantage of it now and kind of push him around because pretty soon it's going to be the other way. <laughs> <laughs> Just remind them who's who's the alpha. Yeah, yeah. Well. Thanks for so, uh, jumping into Yeah, that's where we're at, man. Soccer dad. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you back on the podcast. Uh as since your last time here, we have, you know, last time you helped us kind of launch into chapter 8, mm-hmm. and we're still in chapter 8. But we arrive at a a very cool passage in the entire gospel of Mark. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 verses 27 through 30. And in this short little exchange that we see here, it it is a very large and pivotal moment in uh, the ministry uh, and life of Jesus here, but also in the life of the disciples and and some of the stuff that we see that is kind of revealed here. And when you consider, uh, you know, this being the, the product of Peter's teaching and John Mark's kind of scribe, you know, recording this stuff and where kind of what has been happening as Jesus is has been going out and demonstrating the kingdom and and what Mark's intent is in this gospel right he's he's announcing the good news of Jesus Christ the son of god as he says in chapter 1 verse 1 mm-hmm. and and so his goal is to show why that's the case. So there's this original kind of first century audience that would have been receiving this gospel in a scroll format, and it's traveling around, making the rounds to different villages and towns, and people are reading this account of the good news. It's the earliest account we have of the life and ministry of Jesus. And so that we, we reach a, a kind of a pivotal spot here today. And he does it in a way that is very concise versus some of the other Gospels, yeah, right? Yeah, like I mean... He's very like, this This happened, then immediately this happened, and he kind of... Yeah, he uses that it. word a lot, um, that immediately. Like, it's just, yeah, very fast-paced. And you can look in other Gospels of similar events, and you see a lot more description happen. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it's very concise. Okay. And... Um, you know, some some people kind of theorize as to why that's the case. It could have been just the style. Um, if you read uh, Eusebius, the history of the church, it was like the first recorded history of the Christian church. Uh, he kind of is the one that gives us a little bit of insight into the, the the conditions under which this was recorded, and that Peter was was preaching and teaching in Rome to the Christians. And they demanded from him a collection of his teachings before he left. And so there was a sense in which he kind of in a hurried fashion 
just got with John Mark and said, okay, let's just put it down. Let's get it down on paper. And so they went through very quickly and recorded it so that he could then move on uh, because they didn't want him to leave before they had left him with a record of the teaching. So that's that's the, the story. Things that are inside your brain, Chad Warren. Like guys, I mean, isn't this awesome? Like I feel like every time I come here, I'm like a student. Anyway, the student. Anyway, it's like you drop these little. Oh, actually, you know, in church history, this is why this does this. Way. I'm like, oh, okay. They're yeah. like putting the pieces together for me, man. Like, love it. Love you, brother. <laughs> All righty. So uh, that's kind of some of the context behind what we jump into in these short verses. Uh, and so let's uh, let's just take and let's read. Yep. Mark chapter eight. We are in the English Standard Version, the ESV translation of the Bible. Uh, again, one of my go-to's. Uh, you know, I started out this podcast like I'm going to just take all the different translations, and I'm sure people listening are like, you, "Why don't you ever do this one?" Uh, honestly, it, it's limited to what I have on my shelf, and sometimes it's what I have two copies of, and what feels good. And there Chad's is all about the yeah. I mean, it's got to feel every right. Bible he puts in front of me too feels just like wow. I mean, I want it's to take a nap on this. Yeah, it's good. Like yeah, some some will roll in here with their iPads or their electronic Bibles. I, it, I need hey, to. There's there's freedom in Jesus for all of that stuff. It, there is, and so yeah. But these are better, so it's fine. I get excited about <laughs> holding these Bibles. <laughs> yes. All right, ESV chapter eight, Gospel of Mark. Verses 27 through 30. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And just there's so much in that, so much in that. All right. So, so where do we start? <clears throat> let's just make sure we understand the scene. It's he's with his disciples. Do we because know where he's, he's he's en route to the villages of Caesarea Philippi? And as he's on his way, he asks his disciples this question: Hey, who are you know? What are people talking about? Who are they saying I am? What are they saying about me? And he's saying, well. Some are saying that you're John the Baptist, so that's a a, a recall of earlier in this gospel. Um, Herod, King Herod, was wondering, could Jesus be John the Baptist raised from the dead? Because he's like, I, I had John yeah, the Baptist yeah. beheaded. Could this be him? And so there was probably some fear in that, like, what if he came back? Uh-oh. Because Herod, King Herod, identified that John the Baptist was a holy man, a man of God. So there's probably some rumors around, you remember that prophet, that crazy guy from the wilderness, John the Baptist, eating locusts and honey, and like, is he back doing his thing? But the recollection there is, well, John the Baptist was the one who was preparing the way, trying to indicate to people there's a repent and believe the kingdom is coming. So that's what some people were saying. Others would say that that Elijah had returned. So Elijah is one of those um, prophets in the Old Testament that um, did not face death. And so the idea that he would return. Uh, other places in Scripture indicate that John the Baptist was that spirit of Elijah returned in flesh. And so um, it's interesting that you've got John the Baptist, Elijah. So 
people are starting to recognize something's up. This guy is not normal. And so some people are like, well, it could be that he's John the Baptist's return. It could be, oh, that prophecy about Elijah would, okay, maybe it's Elijah. And then he kind of puts away and says, regardless of what they say, who do you, who do you, like, there's people out there, but you've been with me. You know me. Who do you say that I am? And so it's this kind of moment of truth that here is a group of people that have now been traveling with him that have left their families, that have left their livelihoods, that have left everything that they've understood to be safe and good and provision for their family and a way to have an identity in the, the society and to provide for themselves. They've left all of the, the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, anything that would be stable and secure. Mm-hmm. They've left. Because another thing to keep in mind it, within the Jewish tradition, these all of these men would have been passed over as eligible f- to become rabbis. So they would not have been kind of your top-tier Jewish boys. Right. That's why they're doing the, the family business now, because they, they didn't have either the connections, the family line, or the aptitude to go through the rigors and training of being a religious leader. Mm-hmm. And so they would not have been a disciple of another rabbi because they weren't eligible for that. So here they are. They, they've been called out of the family business. And Jesus says, you are my disciple. So they now have a rabbi. They leave all this stuff for him. They follow him. They witness uh, all these miracles, demons being cast out, people being healed. They, they endure crazy storms at sea and fear death and wonder if they're going to make it and Jesus calms the storm. They go through seasons of of hunger and they're not sure they have and then he provides and he feeds 5000, you know, 4000. We have these they've they've witnessed all of this stuff and yet throughout that there have been times where they still didn't get it. They didn't know who they were with. They didn't recognize him as the true Messiah. And so, so, so this is the first time that Peter is making this statement. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Outside of the first sentence in the Gospel of Mark, where right. he says, "This is the gospel of, of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ, the Son of God." The word "Christ," or uh, the Hebrew version of that, would be Messiah. Um, it's the first time outside of that first sentence that that word is used, mm-hmm. and that he's recognized as that. And Peter is the one that declares you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so then Jesus goes on once again to say, don't tell anybody, because he's yeah, done and that then before. He's like, and he strictly, it says, and he strictly charged them. That means he commands them, don't you say anything. Yeah. Don't talk about this. Meaning you're right. Now don't say anything. He's, he's assessing what are, what are the rumors out there. So he mm-hmm. wants to know what's the... It's kind of the general opinion, mm-hmm. and then he's like, "What do you? Who do you say that I am?" And apparently, Peter's spot on. It's like you're the Christ. Now, don't say anything to anybody. And so then that messianic secret, yeah, yeah, yeah. comes into play. Like, what is that about? And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, 
So that's the picture. That's the right? picture. That's what we see, so, and, and we understand what it says. There's, I mean, I think there's something to <clears throat> note to historically. There's a to understand what this means for them. This idea that there's prophecy that there that people are starting to question. Maybe this is being fulfilled, right? Maybe it's Elijah returned. So yeah, it it does note that it's John the Baptist who mm-hmm. was already gone, Elijah who was already gone. Yeah, one of the prophets who I'm guessing they're referencing prophets of old. Yeah. So is there any reason that you think that the what he's relaying that everybody is saying is someone? come back and not someone new new established does that make like sense a new, like, like a new yeah no but it, he, prophet or yeah some... peter doesn't um communicate to jesus oh they think you're the you're a new prophet that's doing this or you're just a rabbi that's doing this it's like no they think you're elijah they think you're these people from old come back yeah, I think that would have been because the the signs and wonders that he's doing, mm-hmm. the miracles he's performing, probably um, would have been would have caused them to think in the categories of possibly somebody returned. That maybe that's those are the things that we'll see or experience when that person arrives. I don't know specifically if that relates to Elijah. John the Baptist obviously was a contemporary, so he wouldn't have been a historic figure. Right. He would have been a contemporary but of that was... time, but he was dead. Right. And so maybe they're like, okay, maybe he's yeah. maybe John the Baptist was the Messiah. You know, maybe that's what they're thinking. And so this is John the Baptist's return, so therefore, oh, okay. Yeah. Um we don't okay. have a lot of detail about that here. But in the context of it's clear that as people are starting to try to figure out who this guy is, that for them to start to kind of look back in the in the historical kind of descriptions of things and the connections of historical figures now maybe being present again, this category of Messiah related to being somebody that was a fulfillment of a prophecy to David, that the, that David would have a son who would sit enthroned. And so this idea of a son of David coming. Um, son of man is a phrase that's used in the prophecies as well. And so that's why sometimes he'll be referenced as the son of man, the son of David. And then here, that term Messiah, meaning anointed one, or the one that would be you know, the fulfillment of what Isaiah talked about, somebody who would come and redeem, who would make things right. There was also this assumption that that Messiah would overthrow Roman government and be a political and military <clears throat> leader like David was. Right. And so there was some, some hope building as to what the implications of this Messiah's arrival would, would be. So some of that is expectations that he's also going to manage mm-hmm. uh, in, in this uh, revelation. But... Yeah, so th- there's the scene and a little bit of the context as to what's going on here. And I think it immediately tends us, you know, okay, what does this mean for Peter and the disciples? Mm-hmm. And you and I were talking before we, we jumped onto this podcast in reference to the previous episode mm-hmm. and recognizing that there is uh, right before this in Mark's gospel, verses 22 through 26, there's this there's interesting scene where Jesus uh, heals a blind man and yeah. 
it's not an immediate healing, but it's uh, somewhat of a uh, a progressive healing. Um, and so, let's see here. The blind man, um, uh, he in that episode, he sees there's this kind of first stage of healing where he sees, but it's blurry, and he says people look like trees walking around, and then Jesus does it again. And he looked up, and he, after laying his hands on him again, he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he tells the guy, go home, saying, don't enter the village. Probably, like, don't let anyone know this happened. But it's interesting to note the progressive nature of the guy's sight being restored mm-hmm. and how that might relate to Peter's confession here. Because throughout this gospel, we've seen understanding developing where the disciples are witnessing this and they're they're gaining understanding as to who he is and understanding here related to sight, right? That they, they're beginning to see and they, they witness what Jesus does and they witness who he is. They're even at one point kind of deputized and sent out he calls 12 and says you're my messengers you're going to be the messengers of this kingdom he sends them out gives them power and authority to drive out demons to heal people and proclaim the good news of the kingdom and then they they return and they're like man we did all this crazy stuff in your name so they've already experienced that but it's it's this gradual understanding because there's other times where even prior to this like right prior to this they still don't get it they're like we see him feed these 4,000 people. and But you could tell by the nature of how that developed, they weren't quite sure what they were witnessing, and they weren't sure what they were going to do. Like, hey, there's all these hungry people. What do we do about it? And he's like, well, what do you have? Even though they just experienced just saying, the, yeah. the 5,000. So there's a progressive nature to that man's sight being restored mm-hmm. when we know Jesus can heal immediately. And so in this case... There's almost like this, now Peter sees it. When he's put on the spot, who do you say that I am? It's now he can see it clearly. Mm -hmm. You're the Christ. And it's the first time anyone's ever really confessed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's good, man. Yeah. That uh, that paints a very clear picture. So for them, what do you think is happening in the life of the disciples when that when they verbalized that. Well, I, I feel like Jesus is leading them that way to that understanding. And a lot of times, I mean, asking questions, you really get to reveal someone's understanding and what they're really thinking, right? And so yeah. he's he's asking them, who, who does everybody say I am? And so... Uh, this is kind of, like you said, a very pivotal point where all of this stuff has kind of happened. And so in the life, if the question is what's happening in the life of the disciples, I think that this, if maybe one other one wouldn't have answered it that way, hearing Peter answer it that way, maybe it was like they start to look back through all of these other things mm-hmm. and be like, that he's it. That explains that, it. That explains it. And it's not just Peter's eyes, but maybe all of them 
and maybe I I don't know if there's uh, other ones that the site you know as you said is progressive healing like they're they mm-hmm. didn't see it uh, but we know for a fact that Peter did um, and that the other disciples were there so they were hearing this and they also heard Jesus say um, to he strictly charged them, mm-hmm. not just Peter. Yeah, like he all strictly of y'all. charged them mm-hmm. to tell no one. Um, which we can dig into that a little bit more because I'm just I don't know if there's an answer to why that's there, but that's super fascinating. Uh, but I, I kind of feel like this is um, in the life of the disciples a very pivotal time mm-hmm. where they are now also okay, we are going to continue to associate ourselves and be disciples of one that is claiming to be the Messiah. Right. I think um, there is something about when when you verbally commit to something, and it may be something that you were kind of leading towards and it, it wasn't quite as final as until the moment you articulated out loud. Like in a dating relationship, there's this, like if it's going well and things are kind of moving in a direction and, and people start to get excited and, and then both sides are like, maybe she could be the one. And she's going, maybe he's the one I wonder. And, and as you, the, the excitement starts to bubble and, and rise and you're wondering, could this be, could this be? And then in that moment when the proposal happens and somebody says, yes, I will marry you. And all of a sudden now you're engaged. Mm -hmm. There's this finality, this confidence, this resolve, like, okay, now everything's defined. Everything now is understood in light of the fact that we are committed to be married. And then that happens again at the altar. Mm -hmm. And we're engaged. We're getting ready to be married. We're almost Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And then there's that moment when he and she say, I do. And they declare their covenant vows, and all of a sudden, they're husband and wife. And there's a finality and a a resolve that occurs where there's a confidence, there's a no looking back. It's like okay, we've we're in. We've said this out loud. We've de- we've defined it, and we've and committed we're to this reality to, to walking to it. And yeah. now we're gonna this this defines the moving forward, right? And and so I think similarly, there's a point here for Peter where and the disciples where they're experiencing this experiencing this and they're seeing him and they're watching this happen they're watching other people react they're seeing demons cast out they're watching all of this and there's probably this could it be could it be could this be my goodness could this be and then there's this who do you say that I am and they're like you're the Messiah you're the Christ you're the Christ you're the Christ. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden, boom, they turn. And it's interesting because you'll see the posture of the disciples is now they're convinced. And now as he will begin to unpack what does it mean for the Messiah to come, mm-hmm. what does his mission really look like? And so if he starts to anticipate his death and resurrection, they're like, what? No, we don't have a category. You're the Messiah. That's not how this goes. Yeah, and so that's... now he's got to redefine their understanding of what the Messiah is. Up until this point, he's been trying to help them see that he is that, in fact, that Messiah. 
So how important is it that this is happening at this moment in the life of Jesus and him walking with these disciples that he's been demonstrating, demonstrating that if he started to to predict his death and resurrection in this, is there is there something that's really um, pivotal? Like you're saying, there's there's something verbally and a commitment and a covenant that needs to be understood of you're the Messiah. Okay, now that now that your eyes are open to that I am the Messiah, I can start to like discuss these things and and shape. I think your so. Mind and... uh, there's now categories that are opened up mm-hmm. that we can that that now they can begin to explore, and and so I think yeah I think you're right. There's there's some things that. This is a pivotal moment. It's the dead center of the Gospel of Mark. It's, you know, you kind of have the beginning where Mark says, this is the Gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Then at this very middle section of the Gospel, you have this confession where he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, Mm -hmm. you're the Christ. And so then it kind of hits that peak center point, and now his things are going to be looking towards Jerusalem, Things are going to be looking towards his death, mm-hmm. and what the, what the what it means to, that the Messiah has come, and what the Messiah has to do in order to fulfill all that God has for that Messiah and for His people. Mm-hmm. And so, you're going to see a lot of up until now. There's been a lot of category challenging and conventions that have been challenged about what's appropriate on the Sabbath and what the law means and tradition and. And so he's been challenging those things, showing that what they understood, they don't really understand about what those things mean and who God is. And now there's going to be this, you don't understand what, what the Messiah, Messiah is. They're, they're about to be flipped up yeah. upside down and again. So, yeah. re, and so that's true not only for the disciples here in this immediate context, but also the recipients of the Gospel of Mark are going to be wrestling with what is a Messiah. Mm-hmm. We thought that it meant this, but you're saying that Jesus is the Messiah. It means this. Yeah. So there's some some category uh, redefining some th- some expectations there. Yeah. So how many of us um, kind of live out our faith based on what other people say who He is? Oh man, that's in- a great question. Instead of who do we say? Who Who is he in our lives? Or are, are we really just living our lives and making decisions and making mm, plans based good. on, well, well, Chad said this about God. And it's like, but I'm, I'm believing you. Yeah. I'm not and, and believing it in my Some heart. of that is, like, that's kind of how he designed it, right? He said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go proclaim to others who I am. So at Really, at first, you receive this gospel on on the account of witnesses. witnesses. Yep, people testify; they they bear witness to you, and oftentimes it's it's that relational trust. Like it's somebody that you maybe it's you know or you trust. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe maybe it's a friend. Maybe not. But you receive that gospel from somebody else, and then there's a point though that you have to wrestle with. But do I believe it? Right. Am I convinced? Yeah. They're convinced, and they want me to understand, and I'm receiving this news, but am I convinced that he is the Christ? And if so, that's that decision point is, is of utmost importance. So 
let's do something. And Granger and I call this stress test. Let's stress test this a little okay. bit because, like, what I start to think is this is this um, confession and this verbal "you are the Christ" is a prerequisite to being mm-hmm. a witness. Yeah, but he's already sent them out to proclaim mm-hmm. the gospel, right? So how? What does that mean for us and um, being on mission or where different people are in in their faith and moving into ministry? And how does how does that kind of work together? Is it um, you can still be someone that proclaims the gospel even when your eyes have not been fully opened yet? Um, well, I want to, I think it's important to note that in the beginning in, in Mark chapter one, when it, when he defines the gospel in this context, when it says that Jesus was proclaiming the gospel or the good news saying the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. So that when Jesus was proclaiming the good news, it was that the kingdom has arrived. So when he sends out his his apostles, that's their message too. The kingdom and of God is at hand. Like the kingdom, they must have. I mean, we don't know. But they believe something about it because they left all that they knew. There was something about this Jesus guy. And so... But it wasn't connected to, at that time, to Jesus being the Messiah. Right. I mean, it seems that way. It seems yeah. like they still were kind of not sure how it all worked that what his role was in this kingdom and who but they knew the kingdom of God is at hand it's it's about to be here it's about to show up repent and believe and um he says you will be my you know you're going to bear witness and so then i think that there's a difference in that then they now have clarity on an intimacy with that reality that Jesus is in fact the king of that kingdom the messiah he mm-hmm. is the anointed one so yeah, I, to your question, can certainly people can proclaim the gospel. They can communicate the gospel, and God can use people to communicate. And they themselves may not have clarity. They themselves, like there were even, I think there's a reference to it in. Is it? Is it in one of the gospels, or maybe it's Paul? He talks about God using people people preaching the gospel. Yeah, it's Paul, and he says some preach for selfish gain, mm-hmm. and but he's he's talking about he has preached it in clarity. But either way, God uses it, mm-hmm. and so yes, it is the case that there are some people that can proclaim the gospel and declare who Christ is, and they themselves may not believe it. Mm-hmm. I think that that can t- totally happen. Um. I think it's incredibly sad. I think that's devastating. Yeah. Or, or maybe in this case, it's like they haven't; their eyes haven't been fully opened. Right. He spit on them one time, but not the <laughs> second time. Yeah, yet. <laughs> no, yeah. He didn't. They're seeing walking trees right yeah. now. Yeah. So um, I think that's a good question. Does that help in terms of the stress test idea? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah. And so as we wrestle with this, I think it. I mean, I can't help but identify that. The real question is for you and for me and for anybody else who's wrestling with this passage, we have to go, man, if Jesus turned to me and said, who do you say that I am? 
are we like ready to go? You're, you're God. You are my savior. Mm-hmm. You're my only hope. You're, you're, you're it. You're everything. Like, are we willing to respond that way? Are we going, mm, check with me tomorrow? <laughs> I'm well, not sure I, yet. I feel like I know Chad Warren well enough to know that I feel like he would say, you, you're the Christ. But what would you say when he says, now don't tell anybody about this? <laughs> Let's yes. get to that part. Yeah, like, okay. what, dude, what, okay. in, what, why? Like, yeah, and know, there's the, only the mis- speculation about this. Yeah. We don't really – he never kind of sits down and says, here's why I had you guys wait or here's why yeah. I didn't want you to tell anybody. Right. Uh, we we understand time is a thing in this, so the timing of things matters. Um, even from when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, so there's a timing to when he was to come. Why did he choose that time in human history to show up? Like there's a perfect element of time that he's like, this is the moment. This is the time. Like why then? Mm-hmm. Why? We don't know. But there's also an element to this, what's called the messianic secret. There's theories as to, well, maybe, um, you know, some people say he didn't want the word to get out because there was a, there was a way in which in certain things he had to accomplish before his death and so he didn't want it to happen prematurely. So it had to happen at the right time. There's also, and you know, that theory might mean that there's certain things that he, he wasn't able to get to if it happened too soon. Right. But half of those people that he said, you're healed, don't tell anybody, they went and told anybody. They, a told lot of people them anyway, told people right? anyway. So, <laughs> and some people think it was reverse psychology, like... I'm going to tell you not to tell anyone. And so it's this exclusive <laughs> secret. And what do we do when we have something juicy? When we, Oh, man. I can't wait to tell. Yeah. I was talking to my kiddos the other day about it, that when when they get some sort of news and they're the first ones with it, mm-hmm. they can't wait to be the ones that have the news and get to share it with other people. So there's something about us that we're like, ah. He told me not to tell anybody. Yeah, but, it makes it even worse. Like, but, I got to... But my buddy Jimmy, he's yeah. not going to tell anybody, and I got to tell somebody. Like, <laughs> he's not going to tell them. <laughs> yeah. So so there's that theory, right? That's that good. it was like this reverse psychology. Others think that had, had the news gotten out and it become more and more widely known, and maybe the large populace was convinced that he's the Messiah that either the religious leaders would have been convinced or would have been pressured to not kill him. And that it could have led to him not dying uh, on the cross. So... It makes sense. There's this sense in which he's like, who I am can only get out to a certain extent that will eventually lead to my death Mm -hmm. so that the resurrection can occur. Um, and so some people speculate, well, it could have meant that he wasn't, he w- the, the conditions wouldn't, would have resulted in him not being crucified. So those are all theories. It's all speculation. We don't yeah. entirely know, but we do know he's very intentional at his timing and why that spot in human history and all, you know, all these things. That's when we get, when we yeah. get there, we get to have a lot of conversations with the Lord about, tell me, okay, yeah. tell me again why, because 
still still doesn't i'm not tracking him yeah. i feel like generations past were a lot more comfortable with just not knowing things but mm-hmm. now we just like ask siri or we look it up it's like what was that mm-hmm. movie oh some people just don't <laughs> yeah. well, we just don't get to know what it was nobody yeah. knows nobody here knows so right but now we get to know everything information is so it's like to have this and not be able to know why no we just have to wait just have to wait yeah good question right. so i th- yeah i think we we have to wrestle with and luckily we're not strictly charged to go and tell no one the opposite the opposite yeah because at the end of matthew's gospel he specifically kind of removes the limitations on this news and he then charges them and commands them to go make disciples make others like you that understand that i am the christ and what i have come to do and who i am and so that they may repent and believe and you may baptize them in the name of the father the Mm -hmm. son and the holy spirit teaching them to obey all that i've commanded you so that limitation has been removed so those of us who are convinced he is the christ the question is who are we telling about it Mm -hmm. who are we sharing this glorious news with and how are we sharing it with them Mm That's the question, right? So it's good. those that are tuning in and maybe wrestling with this for yourselves, there's a point at which you can no longer say, I don't, I don't know because I haven't heard, because now you have heard. Um, Peter's confession and Bernie and Chad's confession that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is in fact the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He lived, he died physically in human history. It's a real thing. We believe that his death was our death. He, he took our place, and his sacrifice now covers our sin. It reunites us with the God of the universe. It makes a way for us to experience the compassion, love, and presence of the God of the universe, and that we can now be in relationship with him. And that is afforded us by this one, the Messiah our Jesus, our Christ. So we believe it and we're convinced and we hope that you do too. If you are wrestling with this reality uh, and you want to send a question to me or Bernie, uh, please email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. I'll get your questions to Bernie if you have them for him. If they're for me or both of us, we'll, we'll work it out. But we are two men that have encountered Jesus and have never recovered from that. We, we have been deeply affected and continue uh, to, f- to live out and figure out what that means, what, what life looks like in his kingdom. And um, we're two guys that are married and trying to figure that out and parents and trying to figure that out as we follow our Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, thanks for what you're doing and inviting me into it. I love wrestling through the scripture with you, hearing all that good knowledge and experience in your head <laughs> and uh, just feeling built up every time that I get to sit in and do this. So right, appreciate brother. you, man. Thanks for being here. Yep. Thanks for joining us. And I encourage you to go take and read the Word of God. Uh, peace out. <laughs>